All right. Welcome to the Made Men Project. This is your man, DB, transformed from trauma victim into a victor over trauma and your emotional empowerment coach. You are now inside the Made Men Project where we are bringing you an empowering person or message to dismantle society's false sense of masculinity and change the male narrative. Thanks for coming through today. A man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. Malcolm X. My guest today is leadership and personal development coach, author, and creator of Black Fathers Now, Mike Dorsey. In this episode, Mike shares his journey through manhood and the lessons he learned along the way. Make sure you share this podcast with others who you think can benefit from it. Be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. Remember to subscribe to this project and leave us a rating and review, okay? So let's get to the show. Hey yo fellas, we, we made men, we made men, try to believe that within, I just wanna be a good man, okay, I know you all, but tell me you a good man, tell me you a good man, so many men are being crushed, societal demands to be tough, yes you, yes you are enough, okay. I just wanna be a good man, I can't relate to you brother, cause you're a good man, yes you are a good man. I'm right beside you, I'm right behind you, I know that life could be hard right? You're not a coward, you got the power for talking about your scars No, you're not soft Let me inspire you, empower you because Society may want to see you fall, you got another brother to call So many men are being crushed, societal demands to be tough Yes, you, yes, you are enough Don't bluff. Okay, I can't relate to you brother cause you're a Yes, you are a Hey, I'm here my brother I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. What's up, family? Welcome back to the Made Man Project. I'm your host, DB, and today I'm bringing on performance and personal personal development coach, the author of Dynamic Black Fatherhood Manifesto, and creator of Black Fathers Now, my good friend Mike Dorsey. Today, Mike is going to help me dismantle society's false sense of masculinity because so many men are being crushed under societal demands to be tough, deny any kind of vulnerability, sensitivity, or any internal hurt and pain, and it's time to change that narrative. So it's going to be a great show with so many things you guys are going to want to pay attention to. But first, really quickly, if you're a man who knows that you have the potential to do great things but just not sure how to get from where you are to where you want to be, trapped in mental and emotional bondage and being crushed under self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, it's time to stop struggling with the stress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear. And look me up on LinkedIn at dbempowers.com and send me a message and we will book you a free no-pitch clarity call so you can learn more about me and my team and if and how we can help you master your emotions and begin maximizing your potential to the highest level in the next 60 days. Okay, my man, Mike, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Man, thank you so much, brother, man. And I really appreciate you for all the work that you're doing, man. It's so needed right now for us, brother. Hey, man, thank you. I appreciate it, man. Same to you, man. We're, we're digging into a little bit more about what you're doing, but I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate it, man. We know we got to hit it from all fronts, man. And there's one person can't do it all, man. So it's a lot of different avenues, a lot of different ways to get out this destination, man, of helping men be better, helping men be better fathers, better husbands, you know, better everything, brother. So I love what you're doing as well, man. I'm excited to have you on today, brother. Man, you know, I want to add something to what you just said. There. It's powerful that you talk about how this is a team effort. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I think about track and field, right? Mm -hmm. You think about the, the sport of track and field. And yeah. I think about the, the 400 or the 440, as people yeah. call it back in the day. Yeah. 
it, what's interesting about that, if you look at the world record in the 400, the 400 meter run, right? Mm-hmm. You take, take a look at the world record. But then you also just Google, and fellas can, can Google this as well. Google, what's the world record in the four by 100 relay? Mm. What's interesting, the world record in the 400 and the world record in the four by one relay is about a six second differential. Wow. And people don't realize in track and field, six seconds is a long time. Like six yeah. seconds is literally like you finish and you walk in and start your interview and then all of a sudden somebody's yeah. finished. Right, right, right. That's the difference between the world record holder in the 400 and the world record holder in the four by one relay. So mm. what is that telling you? Is that we are faster when we're passing mm. the baton to somebody else. Working together, yep. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And it's always like that. Look at the four by four. I mean, the four by uh, 400 relay. I mean, any yeah. relay is going to be faster than anyone running that race by themselves. So what you're talking about, man, this is no competition. It's not an or, it's an and. Because I add yes, value yeah. to you, you add value to me. We're passing the baton back and forth to each other. But then we're also passing the baton to somebody else. And each one of So the, the reason I, you know, felt the need to say that after you mentioned what you mentioned is the fact yeah. that you know, when we think about how we're all a team and we're all part mm-hmm. of this village and we're all doing it together, we all run our leg of the relay. Absolutely. And it's incumbent upon us to pass that baton when we need to. And yeah. I think some of us, and from a community perspective, get challenged because we feel like it's, it's just us. So I got to run this 400 by myself. Mm-hmm. But again, go back to the statistics. And fellas listening, go to go Google the world record in the 400-meter run and the yeah. world record in the four by one meter, four hundred four by one hundred meter relay, there's mm-hmm. about a six second six second differential. Yeah. You're gonna be faster if you have a team and you can pass the baton. Hey man, that that is a wonderful analogy, brother. I like the way you broke that down. I I'm a I'm a big sports guy. I know the 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 power of team and everybody can't do it all, but the way you just broke that down and bring a home right there, man, is very impactful, very powerful. And you're absolutely right, man. We we you can't do it all by yourself, man. If you want to go fast and get a lot and go a lot further and get a lot done, we got to come together and do it. And like and, and, and think about track and field, even though it's a it's individual events, it's still a team sport. So yes. you know it's it's one of those things like because you know, you're doing a javelin or you're doing a long jump or you're doing a triple jump. All those things add up. We're all attacking in different avenues, but we're all getting those points and we're all, you know, benefiting the team in our individual lanes. So that's important, man. So listen, brother, I want to jump right into this, man. And I know you got a lot going on with your podcast and everything that you do. So this is, I was really wanted to get this interview, man. So what I want to know from you, man, as a child, when you were growing up, man, who and what was your example of a man? Mm, man, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, man, you know, I look at my experience growing up as a true blessing, right? Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia, and mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have, you know, my parents were married, and mm-hmm. what was interesting, till their death, both set to my grandparents were married, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, I, that was the example that was set, you know, in my life, and, um, but when I say, and also, you know, three out of four of my grandparents went to college, you know, two out of four ended up earning master's degrees. The one that didn't go to college was drafted in World War II, served 30 years, retired as a command sergeant major, Mm. served in three wars, two Purple Hearts. I mean, it was like, I had those examples set for me, right? Mm -hmm. I had countless uncles and aunts and cousins and church members and, you know, uh, coaches and, and all of that. I had these examples around me to help show me those different examples of what, 
you know, what being a person and specifically being a man is all yeah. about, right? Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, I also <clears throat> had the, and I, I call it a blessing because it gives you the view of both sides of the tracks. I was also able to see what things like addiction, you know, really do to an individual and how it doesn't discriminate whether or not you're educated or not, or whether or not you, you come from, you know, a person that got status and all of that or not, yeah. it doesn't really matter. It doesn't pick sides, right? And so I was able to see all of those things in-house, you know, basically in my face with personal relationships and experiencing that. And so mm -hmm. I've used the analogy, I think Drake had a line that says, far from the hood, but still understand the streets. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so for me, I look at that as a blessing because it shows you when I look left and I look right, I can see the full swatch mm. of the black experience. And so as it pertains to manhood, I saw when things were challenging, mm. right? And there were challenges and maybe responsibility wasn't taken. But then I also saw, you know, examples of the most stand up, you know, ways that you can be and how you should be as a man. You know, I saw yeah. the ability to show, you know, emotion and it's okay to cry. But then I also saw, you know, examples of, you know, wipe them tears away and man up. Sometimes yeah. you gotta, you know, you gotta make yeah. it happen. So I saw the full, you know, <clears throat> example of the full color swatch, I, you know, I'd like to say of yeah. the experience. And I think all those emotions, all those examples are part of our experience. And yeah. we have to know how to control those and utilize those in the right environment. Hey, that's that's deep, man. That's very impactful. And I'm, I love the way you say you've seen so many different examples from both ends of the spectrum, man. And that's that's key, man. So being when you, when you got into about your teenage years, man, you know how it is when you're a young man, you start smelling yourself, you start feeling good and you start coming into yourself. At that point in time, what did being a man mean to you? Man, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I'll tell you, I was one that my, my mom specifically they, she had a tight rein on us. You know, I'm mm -hmm. one of three boys. I'm the oldest. So, and it's interesting, being the oldest, you're kind of the guinea pig, right? So yeah. your curfew is you know, not as late. You know, you don't get as much leeway. My younger brothers who are twins, you know, they got, they, they got away with a little bit more than I could. You know what I'm saying? Because they saw me and they're like, okay, we can give them a little more leeway than we gave, you know, Michael or whatever. Um, but being a teenager, man, I'll be honest with you, I had examples in the family. But like a lot of us, you know, we still aspire to be like our friends. We still aspire to see mm -hmm. what's on TV and, you know, I'm supposed to be saying this. Okay, I want to talk like this or yeah. they're wearing this. I want to wear that too. Or they're driving this car. That's what I want to aspire to. Because mm -hmm. again, to me, being a teenager is less about you really, you know, taking advantage of the wisdom that gets imparted in you. And it's really about you got to bump your head a little bit and kind of figure things out, no matter what the structure is around you. And I think that's something that, that comes into play in regards to the developmental process, right? Our prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until like your, your early to mid-20s. So we're still developing, right? We're still becoming who we are, and we don't know how to take action on the wisdom that yeah. a father, a grandfather, an uncle, a mentor, a coach is imparting into you because you're just like, man, that old joke, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. So at 15 or 16, I got to go and get in trouble with this little girl. Or I got to yeah. go and, you know, you know, walk, walk with your pants hanging. And this was back in the day when sagging was a big deal. Walk with your pants down until you go to your grandmama's house and she takes the big diaper pin and sticks them in your pants, yeah. you know, and embarrasses you. So I said all of that to say, as a teenager, I had the example of what it is I was supposed to be from mm -hmm. various, you know, men in my life, various examples. But did I always follow that? No. 
the saving grace was the fact that there was such a tight rain on me because of this mm-hmm. huge infrastructure around that mm-hmm. I couldn't stray too far off. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, brother. Absolutely, man. I get that. And I res- that with your story resonates with me, brother. I'm the oldest of three boys. Mm-hmm. My mother was very tight on me, man. And mm-hmm. I used to look at it like, yo, my, my youngest brothers get away with murder. Like, them mugs. Yeah. But I was a guinea pig. And, and my mom was tight on me. And then when it got to my middle brother, Jared, you know, she loosened up a little bit. But when it got to Gregory, the youngest one, like, she, she, yeah, and he was, he, like, he never got beaten. He never got, and I'm like, well, mama, she said, well, Gregory don't require any of that. What? You know, you talking about the same Gregory? Like, See, look, being a dad now, it's not that Gregory doesn't require it. What you've come to realize as a parent, as you evolve, it doesn't require me to do that. Thank anymore. you. That's what it was. Yeah. You want to try to flip it on him? No, you learned that. You know what? There's a better way to do this. I don't want to do this my third one. So, yeah, man, I definitely get that, man, brother. That is hilarious. So, mm-hmm. listen, man, what I want you to do is I want you to share your story, man. Like, give me... Give me one pivotal moment in your life that put you on a course that you're on right now, man, and made you the man you are today. Absolutely. You know, I, again, for me, it was a lot of different things, right? It was not, right. it's not just one thing that I could say was the aha moment. But if I had to pick one moment that really put me down a path of, I need to rethink things, you yeah. know, I, you know, I went, I'm from Augusta, Georgia, went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And then not too long after college, I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. And mm-hmm. so that was right after college, early, you know, early 20s, young professional life. So you're hanging out, kicking it, doing your thing. Yeah. And so it basically was not much difference for me for, you know, the college years and the right after college years, except for, you know, you got a little bit more money in your pocket, right? So you're doing all the stuff you're doing in college. You just now right. got, you know, the capacity to go top shelf as opposed right, to... Right, right, right. <laughs> so right. just being transparent, you know what I'm saying? And so that being said, those few years right after college, you know, you know, I was wilding out. I was hanging out. I was kicking it, doing my thing, you know, being the life of the party, being the wild, you know, whoever I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. One day, I really wasn't feeling like you kind of being the turn up guy, right? I was just, yeah. I felt like I just kind of wanted to chill. And I was hanging out with a couple of my homeboys and we were at this little sports bar or whatever. And we were sitting there talking, watching the game, you know, having a couple of drinks, doing what we do. And some girls came in to the sports bar and they sat yeah. a couple of tables over and, you know, they used to call me do something, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. Yeah, because I was like, I was the one to go turn up and, and you know, get the conversation started. Yeah. And so uh, one of them looked at me and said, do something. Man, go on over there and holler at them, man. And I was like, yeah. I was like, man, I ain't really feeling it right now. I was just chilling. Like, I was just yeah. in chill mode. You know, you know, they kept egging me. I'm like, man, do something. Go on over there and holler at them, man. Go holler at them, man. And I was just like, man, dude, I, I ain't really feeling it right now, man. Right. Right. All of a sudden, one of them, they started laughing. One of them said, dude, when you get morals. And I, and, and they were laughing, right? They were laughing. Right. And, you know, you're kicking it with the fellas. You know, you ain't going to, you know, start, you yeah, know, getting all yeah. sensitive or whatever. So I'm sitting there. I'm laughing along with them. But, dude, that thing made me think. Yeah. I was saying to myself, I was like, dude, like, they think I don't have morals. Mm-hmm. Like, the fellas think I'm just like this dude who's just a wild out life with a party. I don't really care. I'll say anything. I'll do anything. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to, you know. It's like, literally, like, dude said, wouldn't you get moral? And just started laughing. And again, fellas understand that. So, you know, fellas throw all kinds of stuff out there. And, um, but it literally hit me. And Mm. I had a roommate at the time. And I remember I came back to the crib and my roommate came in. And I was just like, dude, man. I was like, I was hanging out with so-and-so. And 
And I told him the situation. I was like, homeboy said, when did you get moral? He looked at me and he was like, ooh, that thing cut deep, didn't it? I was like, yeah, man. It's just like, it literally was a, a point in which I really felt like it was one of those moments where you're just like, is that how people see me? Yeah. Right. So yeah. at that moment, like that was, I would say, if I had to pick a pivotal moment for me that I was ready to turn, you know, flip the switch and grow up. And I was about 25 at the time. Yeah. That was the moment in which the the I, I was awakened to the notion of something needs to change. And again, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, I came in which education was important. I go to college. I was working yeah. at the yeah. time in pharmaceutical sales. I was, you know, doing I mean, you know, on, on the surface, it was like, yo, you, you're doing a doggone thing. Yeah, but internally, I was like, "Yo, something ain't right." If that's how I'm being viewed, and so for me, I had to change. And so it, it took that aha moment for me to start going down a path that you know, obviously, has been now like 16 years in the making yeah. to get to where I am now. And again, I'm not at the end point. I'm still in the process of this journey. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> still yeah. got a long way to go. Absolutely. You know, when it comes to that course correction and, and, you know, when you have those aha moments and, and I get where you're at, like, damn, that's how y'all see me. Like, I'm just that dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, so what was the hardest part for you when it came to that course correction or when it came to changing some of the behaviors or the habits that you had moving forward? Man, you know, it's the, the hard part to me is just the realization, right? Yeah. It's, um, you know, because for a lot of us, you know, I did an interview on my podcast um, and it's, it aired not too long ago. And it was with two brothers who created this, um, this agency called Con Create, right? Mm-hmm. So both of these brothers spent, one of them spent like 17 years in the pen, one spent like 14 years, but they created this creative agency and they work with some of the biggest brands in the world, yeah. but the biggest, it's all fueled by currently and formerly incarcerated individuals. So mm-hmm. they're doing creative marketing campaigns and all of that. And one of the things that the brother, you know, brought to the table was he said, you know, we became masters of self-reflection because, mm-hmm. you know, we literally, you know, when you're incarcerated, it's like you have no time but to just go through every portion of your life, the good, the bad, mm-hmm. the ugly. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, once you get to the point in which you become, you know, okay with that, your full story, yeah. that's when you become, that's when you become a master of your life. That's mm-hmm. when the bad case is you. That's when things start to slow down for you. And so for me, the hardest part was just that realization of, I, you know, was it Dennis Green said, uh, they are who we thought they were? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, hard, the hardest part for me was, you know, I'm not what I thought I was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And But once you come to realize that and you come to grips with that and you also come to grips with your story and aspects of your story are puzzle pieces, right? They're puzzle pieces. And when you think about a puzzle, if you got a 500-piece puzzle, you can't define a 500-piece puzzle by one piece, yeah. right? You cannot define a 500-piece puzzle by one piece, but yeah. that 500-piece puzzle is not complete without that one piece. Yeah. When you yeah. marinate on that and you come to grips with that and you accept that, yo, flaws and all, warts and all, issues and all, this is who I am, and I can accept that going forward, that's when it's not a hard process anymore. Right. Because then you're just like, you know what? I am who I am. I'll never apologize for who I am. I'll apologize for what I say. I'll apologize for what I do, but I'll never apologize for who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. I know whose I am from a spiritual perspective, but then I know who I am, who I am. you yeah. know, from a from a realistic self-actualization yeah. perspective. Yeah. When you get to that point, then it's not hard anymore. But to me, the hardest part is that doggone realization of I'm not who I thought I was. Now, that's that's deep. And I, and I love the way you said that. 
But now, how did talk to me about how your self-image and who you know you are now bumped up or clashed with who you people you hung with thought you were or thought you should be? You know, um, what I came to realize is, you know, I was a performer, right? Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. a sense that, you know, when you, like, for instance, I mentioned, you know, the, the fellas would call mm -hmm. me do something, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what ends up happening when you get a title, and sometimes this happens with people in professional life where mm -hmm. I'm Dr. So-and-so, so you have to live up to the, you know, I'm yeah, a medical right, doctor, so I have right. to drive this kind of car, we have to live in this neighborhood, right. our kids have to go to this private school, and we have to be in these associations because I'm living up to that title, yeah. right? Yeah. What happened then is just if you do something or when you're having a house party or when there's a cookout, they expect, oh, Mike's going to be the turn up. So yeah, I yeah. feel the need to put on that performance of I got to live up to this character, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. the reality is that was not me. Now, sometimes I wanted to be wild and have a good time, yeah, right? Yeah. But that wasn't me all the time. But because that is what you felt that was, that's what it was expected of you, you mm -hmm. then go into character mode and I have to live up to that. And you see a lot of brothers and sisters in, in entertainment the same way. You know, as a rapper, they're supposed to have this particular image. So maybe that's them, maybe that's not. But in reality, because the world thinks that's who they are, in public, yeah. I got to go and put on this yeah. character so yeah. that they don't think I'm a, I'm a sucker. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so for me, the, the big clash was I no longer had to try to be something for somebody else. I can now know whose I am, know who I am, know who I serve, know who I'm responsible for. Now, now, now I'm married with you know my beautiful wife and two kids and all that stuff. Yeah. I know where my responsibilities lie. And so I no longer care about trying to put on and be a character. Mm -hmm. It's all about being my authentic self. And if you get it, cool. If you don't get it, you know, Goody Mob says, fly away, fly yeah. away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. And, that, and that's crucial, man, about setting that standard and those boundaries and understanding who you are, whose you are, and which way you're going to go, man. And that, that just comes with gaining clarity and understanding about, <laughs> this is me, and I'm okay with that. And if you're not, then, hey, oh, well. You know what I'm saying? So let me talk to you about emotions, brother. When it comes to emotions, what's harder for you? Is it harder for you to, you know, identify what you feel, to process through what you feel, or communicate what you feel? Mm, you know... Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think we evolve over life, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because again, mm -hmm. a lot of how we process things, a lot of how we communicate things, you know, is based off of various environmental factors, right? right. So, you know, years ago, you had to be hard, right? It's just like, dude, man, you can't show no weakness. You got to be hard. You got to be tough. You know, you can't cry. You can't do that. If you need to cry, you better go in there, close the door, turn the shower on so can't nobody hear you. You cry in there. Then you come out and it's like you came out the shower versus, you know, you're in there crying and stuff. And um, <laughs> but I think over time you come to evolve and you come to realize that your emotions are there for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. And emotions are like tools in a tool belt. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you see a, a Phillips head screw, screw that you need to tighten up, you go get a Phillips head screwdriver. Right. Absolutely. When you see a nail that needs to be hammered in a little bit, you don't go get a flathead screwdriver. You go grab a hammer. You know what I'm saying? If something needs to be cut, you don't go get a butter knife, you go get a saw. You know, right. it's like you have to stop and you think. And I think emotions across the board are like these tools that mm -hmm. are there for a reason. They're there to be used, but they're there to be used in the right situation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be mindful of that and have control and awareness, but we also can't 
restrict ourselves from going through those emotions. So yeah. I would say up until probably getting married, because at my wedding, I boohoo like a doggone baby yeah. Um, yeah. back in 2009, or, you know, after having kids, you know, it's just like, I, I mean, crying is not an issue for me. No more. You know what I'm saying? It used to be like, man, I ain't crying in public. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You ain't going to see me cry like, yeah. man, bump yeah. that don't pump. But now you come to realize that that's a tool in the tool belt and me holding it in is like taking a soda soda uh, bottle and shaking it up. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm bottling it up and it's going to come out in some way, shape or form at some point. Right. And so for me, I think it was harder prior to to express, you know, like sadness or express something without feeling like I'm being weak or being a punk. You know what I'm saying? But now as I've evolved, I'm 41 now, and like I said, married with two kids, you know, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be happy, right? It's okay to go through the range of emotions, but we also have to put ourselves in a context of not letting emotions control us. So I, I, I gave an analogy at one point, and it was like, it's, it, emotions are like kids, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay to have them, but it's not okay to allow them to control you. Yeah, right yeah. that's where we have to kind of draw the line and understand them and be in touch with who we are but give yeah. ourselves faith and grace to let them things come out when they need to hey that's that's critical brother i'm glad you're at that point sticking with emotions and i'm mm -hmm. gonna switch the topic just real quickly okay. give me two feelings that you felt when you witnessed that un-american display on wednesday at the capitol what were oh, two feelings you felt as a man, as a black man? Like, just give me two feelings that came to mind or that, that you were experiencing during that time of seeing that. Uh, well, two things. Um, two things. Well, the first thing was, it's like, it's not surprising, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, and it's sad. It's sad, but the, my first feeling was, it's not surprising. Yeah. But then my second feeling was, and this is one that again, in various circles with us, you know, brothers talking. Mm -hmm. um, my second feeling was, well, what if that was Quan, Tayshawn, Deshaun, and all of them scaling the walls of the Capitol? What would have happened? Yeah. Or on the flip side, what if that was some brothers with some turbans on, you know, speaking another language, yeah. scaling the walls of the Capitol? What would have been the result? Yeah. And when, when I saw that, and the thing is, I, I don't have any ill will meaning. I didn't want anything negative to happen to anybody. Like, I don't wish for anybody's demise. Like, I don't celebrate anybody's demise. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of, we have to be careful because that's something in our spirit that we got to work on if mm -hmm. you are celebrating the loss of somebody else. You can celebrate a win without celebrating someone's loss. So mm -hmm. I'm not one that's out here like they should have been picking everybody off and yeah. there should have been bodies falling and I, no I that's I don't wish that in my heart that's not what I wish but what I do wish is the grace that was shown there can be shown to us mm. you know to people with a darker hue who are black who are african-american who are you know people uh, you know uh, like I said they have melanin in their skin so to speak not so to speak they have melanin in their skin I just wish that across the board, the same grace is shown to us. And so from an emotional perspective, it was some disappointment. But then on the flip side, it was kind of like, I wasn't surprised. But then I went to the notion of what if the majority of those folks look like me? You yeah. know, so, so emotionally, it was a conflicted thing, you know. And um, 
it, it was, I was emotionally conflicted. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, you don't want that to happen because then on the flip yeah. side, how are we viewed from the outside? Yeah. You know, because when we've traveled the world and gone to different countries, people just like, you know, here from a media perspective, we lump all countries and all people from other places together. Yeah. People who've never been to America lump us all together. Yeah. So people, you know, that I'm connected to in Amsterdam or in Africa or in the Caribbean or whatever will be like, dang, is that y'all? so it's just again it's a very complicated complex thing but um but emotionally man it it was uh it was interesting man yeah man i i get you um you know thinking about my own emotions at that time man i felt you know some anger i also felt some fear and i felt some um i felt i I felt a lot of resentment you know Mm -hmm. those are three core things that I felt at that time due to a lot of what you're saying. If it was different, you know, we we see all the time during Black Lives Matter protests and we see all the time how peaceful protests, people are being sprayed or, you know, rubber bullets are being shot or, you know, the... The, the, um, the, the tanks coming off the highway. Yeah, the tanks coming uh, off, but the, the balls of the, the mace, and you know what I'm saying? The pepper spray, the pepper balls and things like that. We see it all the time, man, and 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 like you said, we don't get that same grace. So it really had me feeling that that emotional, you know, that conflict that you was experiencing. I was experiencing too, man. But you know, I had to process through those things and you know step back and do some self care at the time like that to manage those thoughts and feelings because it was it was a lot of anger, man, a lot of resentment and that fear. Like if they can do that, <laughs> what else can they do? You understand what I'm saying? I feel what you're saying. And, and, you know, the other part to it is, it's like when you, again, when you talk about self-reflection and self-care, we have to also be mindful of what are the things that we have control over? Mm. What are the things that we have agency over? And, you know, some things you can be intentional about. Some things it's all about how do you react to them, right? And as it pertains, and there, it kind of sounds challenging or sounds bad, but I live in Tennessee, that was happening in DC, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to that point, there was a level of disconnection from mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of it, even though that's all a part of the United States, but I mean, that's a two hour flight from yeah. where I am. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think to your point, I think a lot of people see it as like, oh, dang, they nothing up up in, in DC, right? But if you're in California, or if you're in Florida, or if you're in Texas, or you're in New York or something, you're like, yeah, that sucks. You know, but that's over there. You yeah, know, I think it hits home if it, you know, all of a sudden you look, you know, a mile from your crib, that's happening. Then it's like, okay, you know, from a fear perspective, it changes things. It changes things yeah. a little. Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that, brother. So let me ask you, man. You did a lot of talking, and you're very transparent. What is your thoughts on male vulnerability and transparency? Male vulnerability and transparency. I, I think we. um I think we, we, you know, I heard a rapper Lecrae use the term grace and space, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we have to practice um, with other people, but we also have to practice with ourselves, right? And when I say ourselves, I'm talking about you mm-hmm. looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I got to give myself grace and space to process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I also, in turn, need to extend that grace and space to other people. So yeah. when you think about vulnerability, um, the reason that most people aren't vulnerable is because they're fearful of what somebody might do with what 
you take to them. So you think about therapy, you know, I mean, I know there's confidentiality and all of that. And so people who understand that, that's why they can go to the therapist and lay out everything because mm-hmm. they know it ain't leaving this room. Mm-hmm. Right. I can tell you any and everything. And um, unless I'm going to go and hurt somebody else with what I'm telling you, you got to keep it right here. You're, you're yeah. contractually bound or else you're going to jail. Right. Yeah. But as it pertains to how we interact in public, there's a challenge for a lot of us because there's this fear that you're going to take my weakness and use it against me, mm-hmm. right? And so, so I think that's something that is going to take time because to be completely transparent, there are historical examples of someone taking your weakness and using it against you. Someone taking, hey, I'm being vulnerable and telling you where my challenges are. And then you come to find out that they didn't call somebody on you about it. And now this is a legal issue you're facing. So I'm like, well, shoot, I ain't telling nobody nothing no more. What do they say? Snitches get stitches, yeah. right? And so, and, and, and I think that's something that we have to work on, but it starts with us personally giving ourselves grace and space to go through the range of emotion. I think it then goes to the notion of extending grace and space to our other brothers so that they have safe spaces that they can be vulnerable and know that there's not going to be repercussions, you know, when I tell you, man, what's going through my mind right now. Because the thing is, if we had more of those, then I think there would be more opportunity to mitigate some issues that might happen. How many brothers that are about to go do something stupid may have been, you know, stopped if they had a space where they could go and talk to some other brothers and be like, man, this fool said something, I'm, I'm about to go take the strap and handle some business right now if they stopped in the room and then some other brothers could give them the grace and space to get it out, kind of mediate the situation, you know, whose son, daughter, father, brother, husband, or whatever might come home that night. You know what I'm saying? But that goes from us extending grace and space. And it ain't no punk to, to come through and have emotions about something. But again, it comes back to us first. We have to give ourselves that, you know, it's like, I mean, I ain't, ain't here preaching or nothing, but the whole notion of like, when you think about it, you know, from a biblical perspective, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. right? That means you got to first love yourself, you know? So yeah. when I see people who go and do stuff to other folks, to be completely honest, they're being honest that they don't love themselves. Yes. Because if you love yourself and then you can see yourself and your brother, you're going to do anything to keep from harming that brother. You, y'all might, you know, you might have some words, but you're not going to go there because you see yourself in that brother. So grace and space personally, then extending grace and space to grace and space to those around you. That's awesome, man. I love that. So when it comes to masculinity, what is one piece of advice you would give men regarding masculinity? Um, so you know, like you mentioned before, I'm um, you know, leadership personal development coach. And the, you know, so if you listen to a podcast episode, I'll say I'm Mike Dorsey, Mr. Double Down on You, right? Double Down on You is my personal development protocol. And the whole concept behind it is helping individuals, specifically men and black men, but helping individuals develop the courage and the confidence to double down on who they authentically are. Mm-hmm. The ultimate goal is to develop self, uh, self-control and capacity. Capacity and self-control. So when I think about masculinity, I think about capacity and self-control. So when I say capacity, what I'm saying is this, you have the capacity to be dangerous. You have the capacity to to do some real stuff, Mm -hmm. but guess what? You exercise Mm self-control. 
that's masculinity. If you think of, and to me, a, a tangible example is like a lion who can go and rip a 800-pound wildebeest in half with their jaws, but yeah. yet can also go and pick up their cub gently and carry them across the, the savannah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have yeah. the capacity, but yet you exercise self-control. And so for me, when I think masculinity, that's what it's all about. You want to be strong. You want to be capable, right? Yeah. You want to be capable, but you want to also exercise self-control. So you don't have to, because you're wealthy, always lead with your, your, your wallet, right? Or just because you swole and strong, you don't always have to lead with, I'm Devo. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's not it. You exercise self-control and you understand that you have multiple tools in your tool belt. So for me, that's what masculinity is all about. And, and I think we have to have the, the, the conversation about, you know, people talk about toxic masculinity and all of that. What makes something toxic? Is, yeah, yeah, that's a good point right there. It's their view or their, their view on it, that, like the way they see it. Yeah. And what, well, the thing is, something toxic is something that's that's negative, something that makes somebody mm -hmm. ill, something that's dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Masculinity is not toxic. And I think a lot of times we get into that conversation and at times, again, depending on the outlets that you're listening to, sometimes it's about trying to, you know, kind of effeminize the, the, the male perspective a little bit and soften us up. But the reality is we need masculinity, right? But again, it goes back to what I'm saying is and masculinity is that capacity, like meaning, you know, my job is to protect and provide for my family, right? So I need the capacity to protect my family. But mm -hmm. on the flip side, I'm not leading my family with an iron fist and, you know, not listening and not exercising emotion. I have self-control. So that's what, I'm, and I think that doesn't get talked about a lot as we think about masculinity. It's okay, man, if you are naturally DMX and how you operate and how you communicate, that's okay, right? You can be hardcore. That's just me naturally. But you also need self-control. I'm not going to be hardcore all the time. I have the capacity to be, but I'm not going to be there all the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely, brother. Absolutely, it does. I always look at it like it's a person's viewpoint on this thing of masculinity. Masculinity isn't toxic. It's just how you view it, which yeah. your, the labels you're putting on it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And that's yeah. that's a big thing. And we have to understand what masculinity means to the individual, not mm -hmm. as a whole. You understand? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's important that you say that. When it comes to you and where you're at in your life right now, man, and you know, we're, we're, one of the things we want to be transparent with is about our struggles, man. So what are some things or what are some struggles you still have or some challenges you still working through on a daily basis, man? You know, I mean, honestly, man, it, it's, is really making sure on a daily basis that I'm living up to my potential, mm. right? And, yeah. um, you know, you know, because the thing is, you know, and when I say living up to my potential, that's that's a moving target because we can set goals, <laughs> but then what happens when you achieve right. that goal? Or right. if you don't reach that goal, are you not on track? Or was that the right direction that you should have been going in to begin with? Right. So for me, I struggle with the concept of optimizing my potential because, I come to realize, or we've all, we all come to realize that we have a limited time here on earth, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to be here forever. As much as we love to live forever and, you know, be around for multiple generations and all of that, the reality is there's going to be an end date at some point, right? right? And we don't know when that's coming. And so for me, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to optimize our daily walk, to optimize who we are, to optimize, you know, the impact that we have to make. And so for me, I struggle with that on a daily basis. Am I making the impact that I'm supposed to make? And I'll also be honest, again, full transparency, 
you know, when you look to your left and you look to the right, when they say comparison is a thief of joy, you know what I'm saying? And that's something, you know, we struggle with. You look to the left and you're like, okay, this person's doing this and got millions of people following and this person's doing this. And I'm like, dude, what kind of value are they bringing? Do they see the heat that I'm bringing? And it ain't the same millions of people watching on this one and that. I mean, you start looking at that. And so I struggle with that at times, right? Because you want to hold to your guns and not necessarily feel like you got to do some of the gimmicky stuff that Mm -hmm. other people are doing to Mm -hmm. maximize your impact. But the flip side of it is, if I don't incorporate some of those things to spread the reach, am I optimizing the potential impact that mm-hmm. the value is bringing? So it's a challenge for me, man. And it's, I don't know if it's like a, an ethical or moral or is, is it just me, you know, being a contrarian? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know the time, but, right. but for me, those are probably the, the biggest challenges, Opti- you know, optimizing who I am, being the best version of myself daily. And am I doing that? And at times, how do you measure it? But then also as a challenge, sometimes when I start, you know, panning out and looking to the left and looking to the right, you know, the comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. I have to bring it back, tunnel vision, and stay focused on what it is I'm calling. Yeah, man, that's 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 great, brother. I'm, I'm glad you're able to speak to those things, man. That's And that's important, man, because we have to know ourselves and know what's working and know what isn't working, man. Like I tell them all the time, we have to get out of that river in Egypt called denial and be able to mm-hmm. speak to the things that are working and what's not working. Because when we're able to speak to what's not working, that means we can make some improvements. So that's, yeah. man, that's, that's great. So real quick, man, what are some things you do for self-care? And I know brothers don't, a lot of brothers don't, don't really resonate with that term or a lot of ourselves to resonate with that term. But what do you do? What are some things you do to practice self-care, man? Man, look, to take care of myself. So we ain't, you know, self-care is the term. Yeah. Right, to take care of myself. You know what I'm saying? We can call it like it is. Like, I mean, for me, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely my faith. Like, starts one with faith. So for me, it's, you know, daily readings to keep me connected mm-hmm. and daily reading prayer and meditation to keep me connected to my creator, right? Like, I mean, I think, you know, prayer is me talking to God and meditation mm-hmm. is God talking to me, right? I think that's important on a very daily basis and really staying grounded from a faith perspective to realize that something is always bigger than me. Like, this this thing is always bigger than me. That's one. Yeah. The other one is movement and exercise, right? Like I'm a firm believer that movement is medicine, right? Yeah. Like I, I, that's, you know, honestly, my ideas, my epiphanies, things come to me typically when I'm in movement. Like some people are like, my stuff comes in the shower or somebody says when I'm driving. For me, it comes when I'm moving, yeah. right? So the exercise is extremely important. Um relationships are extremely important so staying connected with you know my wife and my children and my parents and brothers and you know in-laws and cousins and friends and family and frat brothers all just staying connected with people and building those relationships like that to me is self-care like I'm not one that like I have to go to a certain place and that's my release point for me it's the you know being able to read and feed my soul it's movement it's you know relationships and having strong, meaningful relationships, like those are the things that really drive me. Another thing that we really enjoy doing, but, you know, COVID threw a monkey wrench into that was travel. You know, like for us, you know, having exposure to various ways of life and various cultures and different people from different walks and all of that, to me, that fed my soul. But that goes back to the whole notion of feeding, you know, feeding my soul. So I think, you know, for me, literally, it's the faith, it's the movement, it's the relationships, you know, and it's also doing the things that matter. And so, you know, doing the podcast, doing interviews like this with dynamic brothers like yourself, you know, this stuff feeds me. 
and it's like that it's, it's fuel that gives me mm-hmm. energy to continue moving forward and for me that's self-care uh, that's great i love the way you flip that real quick man you know just i take care of myself so the way i take care of myself if you yeah. caught up on that term but i put it that way because i want to see people get uncomfortable if men get uncomfortable when i mm-hmm. when i say it like because the thing is we have to take care of ourselves. No matter if you want to say self-care, self-love, or if we want to love ourselves, we have to take mm-hmm. care of ourselves, man. That's important. But, but check, check this out. Let, let's throw it this way. See, I, I look at things like communication is, is all about impact, right? Or connected mm-hmm. with folks. Mm-hmm. And so when if self-care does not resonate with brothers, we got to find the term that resonates. Otherwise, yeah. Ultimately, I ain't trying to make it some frou-frou, whatever thing. I want it to work. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So yeah. if it's taking care of yourself, it's like, man, how do you how do you relax? And we know what relax means, right? It's like, okay, right. for you, it's this, that, and whatever. It's a cigar, watching a game, and what, whatever it is, for you, you know what that means. And so if we need to reframe it and it's no longer self-care, if that'll get brothers engaged into doing it, then mm-hmm. let's reframe it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and not try to, yeah, don't, yeah meet, meet you where you are. I ain't trying right. to pull you into this. I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, where you are, oh, that thing you're doing, that's self-care. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We call it something else then. We call it yeah. shooting, shooting ball with the homeboys. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But you know, that's that's important that you say that because a lot of times people understand that what that really is, though. When you mm-hmm. do things that bring you joy, when you yeah. do things that you really enjoy and love doing, that is a way to take care of yourself. That is a way to manage the distressing, overwhelming thoughts and feelings that come with your daily personal professional demands. So yeah. a lot of times people think, oh, I'm just over here smoking a cigar. But no, that's a form of self-care for you. That's something mm-hmm. you enjoy doing, or I'm going to shoot hoops, or I'm going to you know run on the treadmill, I'm going to or, you know ride a motorcycle or something. But mm-hmm. that is a form of self care right there. So I think it's important that people realize that, man. And that's the way you take care of yourself, man. So and look, brother, last question for you, man. And, and I ask mm-hmm. people this question all the time, man. I get a lot of different responses, but to you, what what type of legacy are you leaving, or how do you want to be remembered, brother, when it's all said and done? You know, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, I take it back to, you know, I've interviewed a lot of brothers, but I take it back to an interview I did with a brother, man. And one of, he, he talked about the concept of ego. And yeah. he said, as fathers, we have to stop wanting to be known as a great father mm-hmm. and just be a great father. Mm-hmm. And so when you mentioned the concept of legacy, you know, at times, you know, I hear the Dane Dash, I'm supposed to look for my last name, not my first name, or, mm-hmm. you know, I want, you know, there to be monuments built after me, or I want mm-hmm. these whatevers to be here, and I want people to know my name. But the reality is, you know, I thought back, like I gave you initially a little history on, you know, my family, you mm-hmm. know, and we know our family back to the great, great, great grandparents, right, mm-hmm. in the Augusta, Georgia area. But I can't tell you the name of all of my great, great, great grandparents, mm. right? I can tell you the name of all of my grandparents, my parents, my grandparents, and my great grandparents. But after that, I have to go find a piece of paper to mm. identify what the names are. So that what that tells me is basically there's about a two and a half generation legacy that people have direct connection to who you are. After that, they might have heard about you or they might, <clears throat> or maybe if you leave a financial legacy, they're like, okay, your great, great granddaddy left y'all some money, you know, whatever. But the reality is, what is legacy? And so for me, it's less about me being remembered, less about, you know, my great grandkids coming to my gravesite and, 
you know, saying that was your great granddaddy and all of that. To me, it's more so about what am I imparting in my kids? What am I imparting in, you know, those that I interact with that will carry on whether or not I get credit or not, right? Because to me, if you think about the bigger picture that we're all a piece, we're all pieces to this huge puzzle, this puzzle's incomplete without me, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily have to have somebody calling out my name and, you know, celebrating my birthday, you know, a hundred years after I pass away. You know what I'm saying? And so me, legacy is less about me being remembered and more about what am I doing now that's going to carry on and then pass to somebody else mm-hmm. without being present. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's legacy. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now that lives on and carries on or has shreds of impact without you being present? But then the other component is whether you get credit or not, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that you know you've done your part and you've allowed this cycle to continue. What Nipsey said, what, the marathon continues? Yes, sir. You know, that's what this thing is all about. The marathon continues. Hey, man, that's great, man. I love the fact that you have that 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 clarity around what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, brother. I truly appreciate you coming on today, man, and dropping this knowledge and sharing your insight. Mike, I want you to know, brother, you are a made man. You are motivated. You are accessible. You are disciplined, and you are expressive, man. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your time with us today, brother. Man, thank you so much for your time, my man. We'll definitely stay connected, brother. Absolutely, man. Let people know where they can reach you at, man. Oh, absolutely, man. You can visit blackfathersnow.com. You can uh, subscribe to Black Fathers Now podcast. Anywhere you get to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, Alexa, anywhere you listen to podcasts, find Black Fathers Now. Hit subscribe. Again, follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Um, check me out because we got some really, really cool stuff coming in the very near future and um you know grab a copy of my book dynamic black fatherhood manifesto currently available on amazon you can also grab it on uh on the website as well so you know y'all just reach out man I look forward to connecting with y'all man thank you man that's great brother listen man, you take care man can't wait to see the great things you're going to do in this new year brother i appreciate it man god bless you man thank you for tuning into this episode i truly hope something on this episode resonated with you It is my hope that you know that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you don't have to suffer in silence, isolation, and shame. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are dealing with. And ignoring or avoiding what you're thinking and feeling and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or express any internal hurt and pain doesn't make you more of a man. Please understand that. Also, please, share this episode. You never know what someone is going through and... Something in this episode may help. Remember, no matter what it is or how hard it is, that's not all there is. You don't have to stay stuck or struggling. Your power is in your choices. So what type of choices are you going to make today? I'm here, my brother. You know I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just want to be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, because you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man.